0: Welcome back into the Level Up Experience. This is episode number 38. I've got Brad Yasser, the founder and CEO of Beyond Enterprises. Brad is an investor, mentor, and advisor who has started and bootstrapped several companies from inception to maturity over the past 30 years. Beyond Enterprises offers strategic and technical leadership, advisory, and support capabilities to projects in all stages of blockchain implementation and development. We discuss the effects digital economies will have in the future and discuss Brad's definition of a cross-reality virtual universe. Thank you to those that have rated and reviewed the podcast. Make sure to hit that subscribe button on Apple, as well as follow on Spotify. Also, make sure to check out our YouTube channel, just search Level Up Experience, and make sure to hit the subscribe over there as well. I'll put all the links to all the platforms in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in, and hope you enjoy. Um... Brian, I want to start with this question. I always love this question because you get all different types of answers. But I want you to kind of think back. When was the first time that you heard the word blockchain or Bitcoin, whichever one was first? And then how did you uh, kind of navigate from there?
1: Well, those are two separate uh, dates. The first time I heard about Bitcoin was in 2009. And a friend of mine, a CTO friend of mine, sent me three files in an email and said, Brad, compile these and you're going to love what you see. So I thought to myself, OK, this is either a prank and he's going to take control of my computer or it is something interesting. So I created a safe environment, compiled and ran those files. And it turned out that they were a Bitcoin wallet, a Bitcoin node and a Bitcoin miner um now this is 2009 so i had no clue what bitcoin is and had hadn't heard blockchain uh, at all and i went on to uh tinker and play with those files for um several weeks before i actually googled uh you know bitcoin and and um uh found the white paper and there the the mention of you know uh, Cryptographic currency and, and blocks that are chained to each other and blockchain. Um, so you know, within a span of two months, I became uh, you know in love with the with the technology, with the premise, and, and um, that's that's the time frame. That's when I first heard about it.
0: Yeah, two thousand nine. So, that's that's as early as you can get <laughs> when it comes to like hearing about it, right? Because that, uh, that's when. Uh, everything was released. Uh, so I think the white paper was late 2008 and then 2009. Yeah, exactly. mm-hmm. um, so it's, it's just crazy thing, but it. it's been 11, 12 years ago. Uh, now, did you go on, just for context for audience, did you go on to mine Bitcoin or what, what did you do for the next few years in the space?
1: Well, the first couple years were very um, academic. People sent each other Bitcoins. Uh, obviously, you had to mine to support the network. So my uh main involvement was running a bitcoin node on a 286 discarded pc that could mine uh a block a day and and uh block rewards were uh 50 bitcoin so that's uh you know that was uh that was the excitement i was a part of this experiment and uh getting these uh bitcoins that had zero value so um after a couple years of doing that i realized um, the the user experience is very difficult. If you're not a programmer, if you're not a network admin, if you don't like command line interfaces, uh, you're not going to use Bitcoin. So I started thinking, how can we wrap a uh, graphic user interface, make the process friendlier, maybe uh, create uh, aliases for the for the wallet addresses, so you don't have to save and remember, you know, hexadecimal numbers, but you can say, hey, this is Brad's wallet. And none of those ideas really resonated with anyone I talked to. I mean, at that time, people didn't know about it. People who knew were very skeptical, they thought, oh, it's just another, you know, scheme. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not going to yield anything, it's not going to work. So up until probably Thirteen, fourteen. I just watched a couple other people, you know, launch uh, very viable businesses that I I really wanted to see, um, and and didn't have any traction on my end. But I still kept, uh, you know, following the evolution of the the blockchain industry uh, as a whole, and started seeing some other projects uh, like Litecoin come out and. and you know, talks about other types of uh, distributed networks. So stayed uh, stayed connected, but didn't really do anything other than uh, mining and running a node.
0: And, and just real quick for audience context, what, what is mining and running a node if there's kind of a layman explanation from your end?
1: So running a node is you have a full Bitcoin node, which means you have all the data ever stored on Bitcoin on a device that you control. It could be a network device, it could be a standalone computer, but you you are a node in the network of nodes that create the Bitcoin uh, blockchain. Mining means you're actually uh, verifying transactions. So you can run a node and not mine, uh, and, and you can mine and not run a node. Uh, mining is you're just connected to the network and because and, you can mine through a pool. It's not, uh, you know, necessary to have your own node to mine. But I, I was just, you know, doing both. I probably kept the same original files I compiled for the longest because, you know, until uh, there were updates to the blockchain, there was no reason to switch.
0: Yeah, and then for, I think for the context too, um, when you are mining, you are the, the part of the Bitcoin economy is that so you, you are rewarded. When you when yes. you solve, when you solve a computation essentially, so if you're listening, you're trying to put the things together. So you are rewarded as a miner when you solve the problem. I mean, I know it's a very layman way to say that, but no, it's, that's, it's that's to, that's correct. That's, you know, that,
1: you know the, the way the way transactions are verified, so there's no double spend, spending or or you know nefarious attacks on the integrity of the ledger, the distributed ledger. It requires you to cryptographically. Uh, solve some some puzzles and then as a result of that it allows you to verify uh that set of transactions that are in that block and a lot of people mine the same block the rewards go to only one entity that wins that block it's so roughly, um,
0: roughly every 10 minutes oh uh, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's the block hide. yes mm-hmm. um and then I don't want to get into the having and things like that. I think we'll be here for a while I'm talking about uh, going down that rabbit hole. But, you know, every four years was the halving. Uh, there was a May 2020 having It just happened. Now the block rewards are down to 6.25, I believe. Yes. Um, uh, so uh, all, that, all that has changed. And so we definitely don't have a lot of time to go into all that stuff. But so so from, say, 2013-14, uh, transitioning into Beyond Enterprises, like how did that look and, and what are you doing now with Beyond Enterprises? Well, so
1: Beyond Enterprises was um, started in 2012 mm-hmm. as an advisory company. That was co- completely uncorrelated to my uh, love affair with uh, distributed ledger technologies and Bitcoin mm-hmm. and crypto assets. Um, that came out of a need for me to be able to help startups that I was getting involved with, either as an investor or an advisor. Um, so Beyond Enterprises started as a purely strategic advisory company where um, I wanted to bring my um, experience and and, uh, learnings from past uh, business dealings, past investments, past uh, experiences I had and bring them to new projects that were, um, you know, looking to grow and looking for funding and looking for all all sorts of help. Uh, And then eventually the Beyond Model grew into a 360 partnership model, where we realized good advice without good execution doesn't yield the results we want. So we started adding teams under the umbrella to uh, fulfill certain parts of the strategy, whether it be marketing, uh, development, you know, legal, you name it, whatever a new enterprise needs, we started adding teams that can fill in those gaps for them, so that um, they're successful and they reach their milestones.
0: Is So early stage tech startups, is that kind of the vertical, kind of pre-seed, seed? seed? Um,
1: Yeah, I mean, we grew to work with uh, a a variety of companies, to be Mm -hmm. honest with you. As soon as the the blockchain aspect of it became more um, dominant in in the work we do, we expanded to growth stage companies, mid-caps, governments, funds, family offices, because everyone wants to know... uh, what the opportunity is and how it's going to impact what they're doing, either in their own industry or uh, with their investment. So uh, beyond group, but our original focus was uh, tech uh, in, in early stage. So seed, you know, angel, series A kind of companies.
0: Um and then for today, uh, what, what is the focus uh, with Beyond Enterprise? I know you mentioned uh, kind of the, the blockchain technology uh, side of things. Um, what are some potential projects you're working on now and just kind of catch up speed around 2020?
1: Um, well, the focus, uh, so there was a huge um, narrowing of focus in 2016, 17, and 18 into blockchain because I wanted to try just um, – looking at one type of technology and seeing how it affects different industries. So instead of having an industry focus, we had a tech stack focus. But after that, now that blockchain is becoming uh, a little more mainstream, getting uh, a a little more recognition, uh, we're expanding back up to all technologies because blockchain is just one layer in your tech stack. You know, blockchain is not going to be your app technology blockchain is not going to be your web technology blockchain is going to be your distributed ledger or settlement or just a layer in uh, the stack of things that you need to build to have a real product or a business so we expanded back up to doing more traditional um you know uh, projects too but uh the focus this year has been uh Convergence and Silicon Nexus. To be honest with you, we try to not um, get involved with too many projects at, at once because uh, it's it's a, a strategic partnership. So we want to be available to to our partners as much as we can. And and um, this year we saw a, a, a lot of momentum build up in the esports gaming uh, space uh, with people. Uh, unfortunately, you know being at home and, and having to entertain themselves without going to the games, going to the movies, going to the theaters. So there's a lot of demand for uh, online content and that project embodies how you can, uh, just like you said, uh, you know, cross reality, how you can bring mobile users to, to their desktops into VR environments. And uh, we've been engaged with uh, Convergence for over two, over two years right now. And, um, we, uh, strengthened that partnership and have been focusing on that.
0: Yeah. So, so Convergence for Dimensions is developing the Silicon Nexus project. Uh, we're, we're both proud of that, a part of that ourselves. Um, what is, I love asking this question cause I've had a few team members on, but what is your vision? Uh, what do you really feel or, or how, how would you explain a cross reality virtual universe?
1: Um, Wow, that, that's...
0: I know. So I always, that's <laughs> I always ask it, and I always get the same response. It's like, oh, man, I got to step back a little bit. But it's I think so, it's interesting to like dive into.
1: Well, let me give you some color that will uh, make my answer clearer. So I've been a gamer all my life. I started gaming on... Uh, personal computers, then moved on to handheld devices, Game Boys, and even before that, the uh, little, little, uh, just single game devices, Uh, and then moved on to, uh, you know, arcades, as i grew older and then uh obviously slowly the internet well before the internet the modems and bbs has started so i went into online text based games with others and, and then grew into uh you know as the gaming evolved i i evolved with it and so i'm very fond of um different platforms and the experience you get like when you play a mobile game you probably have a couple minutes, you know, between uh, meetings, between things. You just want to reset your brain, you jump on, you play a game, you get off. That's a very different experience from, uh, let's say, a World of Warcraft kind of all immersive MMRP experience where uh, you need to be engaged for hours at a time if you're doing the big group events and quests and things like that. So I think the the... For me, the vision is to bring all of those together. Like right now, VR is seeing a lot of traction with the cheaper devices uh, becoming more and more connected and available, which is amazing. It's a dream come true for me. But there is really not a lot of connection between what you do in the virtual world and your mobile device. Right. Because you're not taking a mobile game and uh, going there and the cross platform, cross game transfers or uh, value transfer has always been a pain point for me because I'm the type of gamer who likes finishing games. I'll play it till all the content is done, unless it's something like Minecraft and there's no end to it. But um so once you finish a game, all the time and effort and these days money you invested in that game, in that IP is lost. There's no way to carry it anywhere else. With, uh, with Silicon Nexus, what's happening is with NFTs and with uh, different digital items and uh, game currencies, you can take one uh, value created in one and transfer it to the other.
0: It's so like that's, a skin. So like a skin, for example, for those. Well, listening.
1: yeah, that's that's the player user experience. Right. Then right. you have the developer experience of being able to uh, have user acquisition through other platforms without competing with them. Like right now, uh, uh, an IP like World of Warcraft doesn't have any connection, any meaningful connection. There are some mobile, uh, you know, peripheral apps around it, but there's no real connection to the online world but with uh, uh, a platform like Silicon Nexus there could be an an acquisition player acquisition model where you know some online uh, mobile game feeds into the worldcraft realm uh, online uh, on a PC or on your console and and grows the audience so both for gamers and for developers it's a uh, unique opportunity to see growth and experience uh, different ips different games uh by conserving the value created in one and being able to transfer it to the other
0: yeah like, like you said that value transfer because as, as gamers you spend all this time and all this effort and you put in hundreds potentially thousands of hours into a game but then can you transfer that experience or that you know that that time of in the currency to something else Right. And that's never really been done yet. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be it, so. Do, so obviously, I mean, I, I think I think I know where you stand on this, but, you know, talk about the the connection um, with with blockchain technology and gaming and how that looks in the future. Um, I do think obviously one part of that is the, the value transfer. If you're if, if uh, you know, this cross reality platform, once it's built, then you're able to do that. Uh, but talk about the intersection between blockchain and gaming as well.
1: Well, I think it's the mind change from the studio owning the digital items, the assets, uh, everything you work to acquire versus the player owning it. That's the huge blockchain effect impact on gaming in my mind, because of course the value transfer between audiences, between IPs is big, but what's even bigger is to this day, most of the games you play, if you read the end user uh, licensing agreement, you will see that it says, everything that you have in game belongs to us. You have no rights to it. We can close down your account anytime you want, uh, we want for any reason. And well, that's it, that, mm-hmm. you know, you could have spent thousands of dollars in tens of thousands of hours, it's gone. With the blockchain component, with NFTs and, and in-game currencies, uh, once they become more and more uh, cryptographic, you are going to own those things. So a game company is not going to be able to come and say, "Well, you know what? You violated this agreement. We're taking your land away. We're taking your castle away. We're taking your character away, just to you know, just to punish you." I mean, I'm sure there's going to be ways that if you are in constant breach of. Uh, You know expected behavior from players and users of the platform uh you will be uh, sanctioned but for for those instances where you lose everything just because you stop playing the game or anything like that that's slowly going away which is huge for gamers and it's very exciting for me because i would have loved to be able to um, you know, transfer some of the things I owned virtually, uh, maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Obviously, I don't have uh, as much time to uh, dedicate to my gaming these days. But 20 years ago, I mean, I was spending a lot of time every day building these characters, building these, uh, you know, uh, online uh, virtual systems and, and structures and And now they're just stuck in that old garden that's whatever, Ultima Online, EverQuest, World of Warcraft, you name it. There's nothing I can do with it. Whereas if they were uh, on the blockchain, I could have transferred them legally without breaking my end user agreement and everything. I could have just transferred them and, and, uh, you know, gotten the value out.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then for those in most, maybe if you're listening, may not be as familiar with some of the the blockchain projects uh, in the kind of in the gaming space. Uh, Some of the blockchain games are out there. Some of the collectibles that are out there. Um, Obviously, Obviously, 2017, I think a lot of mainstream people may have heard of CryptoKitties and what happened with that, just the, the value of them skyrocketing. Uh, but that's an example of an NFT. Uh, you look at like Chain Guardians. You look at Ethermon. You look at some, you know, some, of, uh, some of those blockchain games where you have those, the value of those assets, those digital assets. Uh, but then being able to – like for example, there's a project called Decentraland where you have – basically you have virtual real estate and there, there's an economy to it and everything. So being able to like, I don't know, transfer virtual, re- like real estate with, with a collectible or something like that. And then having that tra- that, that transfer of value across games, I think it's really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really, I'm really interested to see where, where that goes. Um, cause it's, it's, it's not, obviously it's the, the, the it's not a new concept when it comes to, uh, cross reality platform. Um, you know, we talk about we talk about this a, this a lot, but I mean, Second Life. Uh, what fifteen? I was years. just
1: going to say Second Life. You just you read my mind. I really <laughs> yeah,
0: life. not a new concept. I mean, been around a long. Was around a long time ago, right? So, but but it's th- but the technology had to catch up to actually put it to for it for it actually to work. I guess for the mechanics of it. Yeah, and I think yeah.
1: we're we're getting there, even on the VR side. There are some. Very immersive uh, environments created now, so it's not full three D virtual reality yet. We're not there yet, but uh, it's pretty getting pretty close.
0: That and then I'm also interested of you know go, doing like virtual environments, kind of like in the business sense, and then creating value like in in an event, in like in a conference or a networking event, like things like that. Like all that is is I think it's much closer than. Uh, maybe mainstream may think. Uh, but well, have- I mean,
1: if if there's a silver lining to this uh, system shock that's uh, COVID-19 pandemic that we're all experiencing, that's one thing that's really being looked at and uh, developed right now. Because if we can't physically get together, we still, uh, I mean, we're social beings. We, mm-hmm. we want to interact with each other. I mean, look at us. We're doing this. We would be doing this face to face any other time. Now we're doing it virtually, but mm-hmm. if we could have a conference virtually. Of course, that would be uh, amazing because it takes out the physical proximity, um, you know, infection risk out. And even after this pandemic goes away, it's going to be uh, very interesting to see how how well you can have a virtual conference that, um, not only mimics the format and, and the experience of a real conference, but evolves it into something more.
0: Exactly, um, and you know, looking in, in a couple months from now, you know, Silicon Nexus um, looking to do a virtual event actually on on the Gamer drive platform and being able to have that virtual immersiveness into a virtual environment. Uh, and alongside one other thing too, I would like to you mentioned in person. I want to go back to that in a second. Um, the in person aspect of things that, you know, I think we still crave that. I mean, I, I do, like, I, I I still, I miss the in-person interaction. So I don't, I don't necessarily see virtual environments getting rid of physical events and things like that. I see it initially in the shorter term uh, over the next few years being alongside of it, being more accepted to go along. Like you have a physical event for a week, but there's also a virtual event that runs alongside of it for potentially those that can't make it. Like, I, that's kind of how I see it. Yeah,
1: like a like a blended format where, in my mind, the ideal virtual conference would be a blended conference where you can't tell the virtual participants from the real ones. Mm -hmm. Now, how do we get there technologically? That's a different question. I don't think there is a platform or something built that will allow it. But imagine, you know, you're watching a conference like most people do online, even without the you know, pandemic. There were people who couldn't attend conferences who were just watching the live streaming or or and if you could look at the stage and there's like five people, two of them are physically there and the other three are virtually attending. But they're all together, they're interacting with each other and you can't tell the difference as the person watching the live stream. I think that that's the direction it's gonna go as opposed to virtual replacing live or live coming back and you know reducing the uh, the need for virtual because we need both i mean mm-hmm. think of uh, any any conference you attended a couple hundred people conference is difficult to put together i mean there's so many moving pieces when you go to a couple thousand now you need a team of 50 people you know 30 to 50 people working 24 7 on it to put it together now think of 100,000-person conference. I mean, those are very far and few, and it's a year-long dedication of hundreds of people. Now, if you took the 100K number and made 80% virtual, now it's doable by, again, a group of 20 people. So so it expands. It doesn't eliminate or compete with, I think, the virtual aspect of things expands the reach of the conference.
0: Exactly. I mean... Put simply, people that could not attend just physically can't couldn't go, which they'd like to go, but they just physically can't. Would it would be able to do it, you know, on a mobile device or on on their desktop and be able to pop in when they can, right, and not have to physically immerse themselves in the physical world for two days and travel to get there and everything else, uh, and then the carbon footprint along those lines too is something to think about. So um, yeah, this is a really interesting topic. I did want to shift a little bit. Um, I'd love to get your insight, um, obviously working with startups for a number of years and being a part, part of a number of projects and working with founders. Um, I did want to get your take on something. What would be, um, Say someone is a brand new startup founder, especially let's say in the in the tech space right now. Uh, we see a lot of ideation happening, obviously as you mentioned with with the pandemic. And right now is when innovation is being pushed hard. Uh, this happened in 08 and 09 as well, where innovation was really pushed hard, and a lot of yep. innovative innovative companies were started. Then we're in the I think we're in that same kind of pocket. So, having said all that, like, what what are some what is your you know one piece of advice for for startup founders uh, to be able to get something off the ground, get some momentum uh, with the experience you've had?
1: Well, I read this somewhere, so I want to quote it because <laughs> it plays well into your podcast title. But if life gets really hard, it just means you leveled up, right? So, mm-hmm. my advice is, you know. Starting a business anytime in prosperity when everything is, is going well is difficult. It's, it's very difficult. That's why a few succeed. That's why a few are rewarded. And if anyone who's been an extremely successful entrepreneur can tell you it's probably the most difficult thing they did in life. I mean it's 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 nothing compared to working for someone else or being a part of an existing business or or a great team those are amazing things and and build up your personality but going at it alone as an entrepreneur is the most challenging thing you can do so you have to be resilient and and nimble right i mean you have to pivot uh, you have to be very cognizant of, of how much time you have the biggest uh challenge i see both uh first-time entrepreneurs as well as some seasoned ones experience is you know they they have an idea which gives them a lot of drive and excitement and ambition to um bring to life and then they start working on it and they either self-fund or get some funding so now they have idea and money and then at that point, instead of saying this is a temporary uh, state of bliss that I have because I have the energy, to drive, the funds, the team to do things, they go into, oh, I'm a business uh, and, and, you know, I'm going to have revenue and everything's going to be all right. mode, And that's the wrong approach, because if you took on investment, you have a finite runway. And you also have a finite enthusiasm and, and, uh, you know, drive for that specific project. So if you get burnt out or if you run out of funds, it's pretty much game over in most instances. So what I would say is this is a great time to start a business, but don't expect quick and and easy um, outcomes. Be resilient and be always mindful that the time is ticking. If you understand your roadmap, and your runway and you can manage those there is no reason why you wouldn't be able to launch a successful business it's most one or the other running out that um that kills early stage businesses and and it breaks my heart because I I look at a business when it's fundraising and they get a couple million in and they're excited. And then a year later, you know, they're back to fundraising and they're in dire shape because they thought they were going to either have revenue or fundraise more and it didn't happen. Whereas in my mind, I'm saying you could have made it with the the funds and the time you had if you had better managed it.
0: No, I, I totally agree. I got a couple uh, extension points on those. Rob, I want to jump on what Carrie was saying here. So Carrie said, "Agreed, we are in the startup pocket. We are all needing to level up to be relevant and successful in this world." No, Carrie, I think you're, I think you're 100 right. And something we've talked about on here is, you know, congratulations, you raised, you raised a round, right? Whether it's seed, series A, whatever, you've raised a round. You know, what are you going to do now? So the runway is typically you raise to twelve to eighteen months is typically the runway that you get. Right. So that's not a that's not a lot of time. You know, no. it's it's exciting to raise, but it's like, hey, okay, that they may have just added a, a year to it. And as is if people know in the startup space, that happens in a flash.
1: Yeah. And if, if you don't, you know, if you're not measuring towards what needs to be done and what you have, again, it's gone even sooner because a lot sure. of the raises are based on forecasts and uh, predictions. Well, how often can you forecast to the dime uh, yearly budget? I've never been able to do that. And I'm on my 14th company, <laughs> you know, and it sometimes goes over. Or sometimes it's under. But. I can say with confidence, I've never forecasted my budget for any year to the die. It, it just doesn't happen. And anyone who says they can do it probably don't have enough experience to realize that's not realistic. Uh,
0: uh, you know, unintended expenses, uh, scaling. No one can project exactly how you're going to scale to the dollar. Based on it, yeah, hires and things like that. and so Fun is
1: in the-, the marketing unknowns with with people coming and going, market unknowns, competition unknowns. I mean, I, I had a couple of companies in my portfolio great ideas, perfect timing, fully funded. They didn't see that there was a competitor backed by a billion dollar fund. That was coming into the space. And I mean, they're not going to see that. You're not going to see it because it's like stealth until you hit the market uh, for those really well-funded, well-backed companies. So any of those things can happen, and you can't factor those into your financial modeling accurately.
0: Right. And then I go back to what you said earlier is the pivot, right? So it's not a streamlined you know, we get funded, and this happens, and this happens. It's pivot here, pivot there. There's a competitor, got to go over here. So it's it's a it's a constant, and that's why actually it's funny. I, I made a post, <laughs> I made a post a couple of days ago. I said, if you wouldn't buy stock in the founder, you shouldn't fund their startup. And I got a little backlash. Someone said that was cryptic. But isn't that true though? I mean, aren't you you're, you're buying into the founder? The more early stage, especially early stage you're buying into that founder because there's going to be a million roadblocks. I mean, there's going to be you know, 60 fires to put out in in four days, right? And how that founder deals with that is really what you're buying into. The idea, okay, the idea has to be there, but the founder has to execute.
1: Well, I mean, I come at it even from a different perspective because I have an uh, advisory business and I can help. In sure. any other area, other than changing the personalities and and the uh, the, the 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 approach of the founders to, to to the problems at hand, so I always invest in people. I always say that look, I'm investing in this project because of you, not because of the idea, not because of the IP, not because of the technology, not because of the market. All those things I can fix. Mm. So if you come to me with a A list kick-ass team with proven track record and a shitty idea we can make money because we can change the idea we can rebuild it market it in a way that uh, makes it more consumable and and there's so many ways you can fix any other issue than founder issues and personnel issues because it takes a long time to re-educate do an attitude adjustment with people. And most startups don't have five years for the founders to grow and mature and, uh, you know, become, become who they need to be for that business to be successful. So it's always the people, early stages. Obviously, once you go to Series B and growth sure. state funding, then it's metrics because you have sales and you have uh, raw data that you can look at and, and uh, make uh, decisions
0: on. Right. You actually have revenue. that yeah. <laughs> You can actually look at intangible things. Right. Um, and then that's why, you know, that's why 80 percent or more startups fail early stage. Right. Because of those roadblocks. That, I mean, the, the, the market is against you. <laughs> the market is totally against you. Uh, very, as the earlier that the earlier that you are um, and to be part of that 10 percent, you have to be special. It just takes a, you said invest in, you know, Carrie just said invest in people. It just takes a, a different kind of person to make it as a founder. It just, it's just like you mentioned earlier, it's just, it's not the same trajectory. Uh, good or bad, I'm not saying it's good or worse or whatever. It's just, it is what it is. So, um, well, I appreciate the insight on that because I know we have a number of people listening that are potentially for, uh, looking to start. A startup, uh, or that is, it, they're involved w- with a startup, uh, and you know, with the, for the first or second time. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, we are up against the time a little bit. Um, I do want to give you an opportunity to let everybody know where you can, or where uh, people can connect with you online or on, you know, anywhere on social. Um. Yeah. You can You can
1: find me on uh, Telegram. Um, mm-hmm. It's my first and last name. If anyone wants to reach out now caveat, I get thousands of messages from all the different groups and conversations I'm having. So uh, if if I don't immediately respond, don't think I'm uh, not interested or don't want to talk to you. It's just it might have just scrolled down to an area where I don't even see it as a new message. And of course, uh, email, good old email always works less intrusive, you know, everyone reads their email at certain sometime of the day, or within 48 hour period. So I'm Brad at beyondenterprises.com with a Z. Um, Happy to, you know, Hear any thoughts, inquiries. Uh, again, we, we like helping entrepreneurs. Obviously, there's the commercial aspect of that, where we get engaged and you know provide certain services and, and help out that way. But also, uh, just personally, me or any of our senior advisors, we love giving back to the community. So, if you have a question, you know, just ask, and we'll give you the best uh, you know advice, best answer we can. And if it helps, that's wonderful.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate sharing that. Uh, we will put the links in the description uh, on YouTube. If you're watching the replay or here on LinkedIn, we'll put it at the beginning. Uh, if you missed, if you just came out here at the end, uh, this will also be a podcast as well. So you can check it out, Level Up Experience. It'll be released in about a week. Uh, so Brad, I appreciate being here. Um, looking forward to the Silicon Nexus project and creating this uh, virtual virtual universe cross reality concept. is really It's really fun. If I could just say, it's just really fun. Uh, it's a really awesome concept, and uh, it's something that, you know, it's it's interesting. It's it's that concept has been worked on for years, really. It's just, it just hasn't come to fruition, right? It just hasn't been executed. So it's going to be fun.
1: Uh, actually, it has been executed, but when you're creating something cross-platform that mm-hmm. you know you're going to engage the arcade players with the mobile players and bring them to a virtual environment and or another online environment and there are nfts and blockchains involved it, it is a it is a big task I mean mm. it's, it's not that it hasn't been executed on it's been very well executed on so far as as far as I can see
0: uh, mm.
1: however the challenges are are you know they take time to overcome and and I think sure. the team at soca nexus has done a Tremendous job at um, identifying the challenges, finding solutions, and then executing and overcoming them. So I think they're at a stage now where the marketplace is going live. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I encourage everyone to go check out Silicon Nexus because if you're playing any of the uh, highly coveted AAA titles right now, uh, you can get um, you know in-game credits. Uh, things like that at, at a discount or with bonuses because uh, they have a really cool launch offer. And then if you're interested in NFTs, it's the same thing. Um, I think it's a, it's a great opportunity to check out uh, what's coming live and it's just going to grow from there. So the marketplace, NFTs, and then uh, obviously as the uh, countries open up more and more, uh, the most exciting thing for me is you know, going to an arcade and instead of getting plushies, getting some CryptoKitties as a reward i mean that for me is mind-blowing and and i would love for us to get there with all the arcades because although i don't have a lot of time for gaming i still enjoy going to an arcade and having that physical interaction with the machine this now ties it to a blockchain game i mean Mm -hmm. that's unheard of and i think everyone who's a gamer would uh would appreciate that
0: experience well and they've been waiting for it yeah. There's been, I, I quite frankly, been waiting for it, being able to take that value and transfer it over, and to be have all that connected for them. So, uh, yeah, dig, digital assets and digital economy is is going to be it's going to be really cool to see where it is next couple of years. So, Carrie, uh, thanks for being here. Uh, Mitchell, thanks for jumping in earlier as well. Uh, Artur, thank you very much. Thank you all for being uh, taking the time for being in chat and comments, and we'll see you guys on the next one. Brad, thanks for your time, man. Thank
1: you, Chris. My pleasure. Appreciate it. See ya. Bye.